good Monday afternoon. May I be of the first to say good afternoon to you. It's an okay day. This, well, fourth day of December, the first full week of December, the first full week of the last month of 2023. Seems hard to imagine. Hope you had a nice weekend. Football-wise, it was a good weekend for most of us and most of our teams other than Mr. Dave Rieger, whose team did not win. He'll tell us more about that. But Michigan did win. Uh, Michigan over Iowa. It was not exactly the blowout. I, you can look at the final score. What, what was it? To 25 or 6? 26 to nothing? Is that what it was, Rieger? 26-0? Yes, sir. It, it sounds like a bigger blowout than it seemed while we were watching. Am I right about that? Yeah, it was... Um... Michigan was always going to win the game. They just didn't. Ne- they just didn't necessarily uh, have one of the best games I've ever seen them play. Do they? Do they hold back on a game like this? Because let me tell you something. Sadly, if that same team shows up to face Alabama in the Rose Bowl, yikes! You know, um, Iowa's got a really good defense. Uh, Iowa's problem is they have no offense. So, you know, well, that's good news you know, for us. Yeah. So, you know. So obviously, um, Michigan's first touchdown came after that uh, great punt return. So that was you know. cool. Yeah, that was a great way to start. But in in look, I'm I believe Michigan can beat Alabama, but a lot of people are asking that question, and the sports people, the people in the know, are divided on that. I want to believe that Michigan can beat Alabama, though. The last time, the last time I recall seeing them, I went with. Uh, our friends, uh, the Youngs, to it seems like we were in Dallas or something, and it was Michigan against Alabama, and it was not pretty. Yes. That was years ago. Yeah. Uh, Michigan has a good chance. Uh, Alabama uh, obviously had a great game against Georgia, but to get to that point, they had to barely beat Auburn, who was not a good team. So um, I think that it'll be, a, it'll be a good game. Now imagine you're, you're a Florida State fan. That That is horrible. I, You're really feeling left out. Yes. Your team has thirteen and zero. They were yeah. perfect. Yeah, they're getting apps. They're getting kept out because the, the Jordan the, Travis, the quarterback, the, is the com- hurt. Yeah, the committee feels that the, it would not be uh, a good game because they only scored. Uh, they only had like fifty-five yards against Louisville or something like that. So well, you know, it, I, it, it's actually horrible. I can't even. Believe, I I can't believe they actually did it, but they did. You're not even a necessarily a Florida State no. fan. You're a fairness fan, and it's yeah. not fair. It was, it was it, totally. I just like I it wasn't it. fair several years ago, and you maybe you remember the the details. I do not, but it seems like Michigan was prevented from going somewhere, and even Michigan State voted against us. Correct, uh, because yeah. it was I think Dennis Franklin broke his leg or something, right. and so they said, well, they don't have their number one quarterback, so they shouldn't go. It's kind of the same thing. But, That's the same but, thing. But it was back then when a little bit different as far as the voting was concerned to go in. But now you've got a committee of guys that just made a, that made a decision where I don't know how they even could keep a, a winner of a undefeated winner of a Power 5 conference out of the college football playoff. It, it yeah, really makes know. no sense. Don't know. All right, so I'm going to ask you because you pull no punches. Can Michigan beat Alabama? Yeah, Michigan can beat Alabama. Good. Yes. All right. Yes. I'm going to move on. I'm going to go with that right away. Uh, Lions uh, beating New Orleans. Uh, good news there because I honestly, I don't know if I ever said this out loud. I said it around the house, and I said if the Lions don't win this game, 
people are going to go back with the SOL, same old Lions. But that's not what happened, and so that's good news. Now, here's one. I watched late into the night, Kansas City and Green Bay. Talk about a poorly refereed, refereed rather game, and here's what I don't understand. There were two really bad calls, one at the very, very end, which sometimes they don't call when the ball's up there and it's a jump ball in the end zone. But you could see uh, Travis gets gets pushed out with two hands out of the way of trying to catch the ball, A. Forget that one. The play earlier where a guy was all over the the Kansas City guy's back, yeah. I mean, he was hugging him. He was giving him like a bear hug. He was riding him like, give me a piggyback ride, Daddy. And they didn't call that pass no, interference. They didn't. It, that, that was a blatant pass interference. That too. was horrific. That was no matter where you stand on the other one. What's that, was that? On, that was an ex-Packer, too. He used to play for the Packers. He now plays for the Chiefs. That was Martez Valdez, Martez Valdez Scantling. And he's. Uh, I, I can't believe they didn't call that play. I, that was. They like, should have called P.I. for sure, and they should have had the ball. Obviously, in college, in pros, it's not a spot foul, but they should have had 15 yards. They would have had 15 yards yeah. better, and yeah. uh, the, Mahomes could have used right. that. They, uh, listen, Tay-Tay was in the house. I know. This was lost. her first loss. Good. Good. Oh, stop it. Oh, you're terrible. Well, obviously, I'm a, not a Chiefs fan either. but Or apparently a Taylor Swift no, fan. Uh, listen. Sorry, I'm a Taylor bye. Swift Sorry. fan. Glad you flew all the way to Green Bay to be in the 30-degree weather to watch your team lose. Good. <laughs> I suspect she wasn't cold, but uh, all right. So that's uh, yeah. No, she was in the I'm... suite with Mahomes' wife. No, right. she wasn't. But cold. you know what? You know what else? I don't understand is I don't. You said the players' names. I don't know who they are. Yeah. I, why didn't that person complain like crazy? I'm sure they did, but it's, they're not going to change the call. So no, but I didn't yeah. see it on the field. You'd think he'd complain, which then gets the coach well, to complain. At, but at that point, you know, you're right, racing against the clock too. They had no timeouts, and they were racing against the clock. So and then what? Yeah. What? what uh, what guy got thrown out that was the, the security guy? That was in the, the San Francisco game. That was in the San Francisco-Philadelphia game. The player took a punch at that guy. He didn't well, well, punch well, him back. Okay, well, no, that, that, was in the, that, was, that was in the Green Bay game. That was the, that was a chief that, that, that got, he got thrown out because no, he threw no, a no, punch. No, 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 but no, you look at the one with the, uh, the security guy. That security guy was the San Francisco-Philly game. The player, right. the other player from the other team right. glanced off his cheek with what was kind of like a punch. Right. But and he, he but, got thrown out. I mean, right. the other guy, the player got thrown out. But, but why would right. the why would the security guy get well, thrown out? Something's going to happen to him. He'll probably get fired or something. No, he's going to be a superhero in Philadelphia. But the but the, the 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 player for the Chiefs that threw the punch. If you throw a punch in the NFL, they they eject you immediately. So he got ejected at the end of the game yesterday. Yeah. All right. Uh, uh, I, and I never understood why are you throwing a punch against somebody that's got a helmet on. Wait a minute. Okay, that's the other game. All right, you're jumping back. And I'm just forth. saying. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's stupid. You're not yeah. very smart throwing a punch at a guy with a helmet. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but again, you know, it's a football player. But here we go. Uh, <laughs> sorry. You <laughs> turn your mic on for goodness' sakes, uh, Danielle. I love your laugh, but it's so hard to hear in the background. I want to know the effect of these punches. I did and, have a fry in my mouth, so I was saving you. You had a what in your mouth? A French fry. Oh, I thought you said you had a fly in your mouth. No. A French fry, good for you. Which French fry do you have? Um, McDonald's. Oh, they're the best, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And they, they just, for seven years, they've been experimenting with a better, juicier hamburger. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they they try it out on people in other countries. But now they're, they give them the dry burgers. Now they're coming back to the United States 
slowly rolling out a better way to make the burgers so the McDonald's burgers will finally be juicy and wonderful so they can have a burger that can be proud to be with those French fries. Anyway, um, CBS Sunday Morning is a great show that you should watch on Sundays. I tape it, then I watch it. So CBS Sunday Morning Pulse, Americans' ratings of honesty and ethics of professions. You know what number one is? I'm not going to make you wait on this. Number one, ranked first, in terms of honesty and ethics, nurses. I can see that. How about that? I can see that. Ranked just ahead of telemarketers, politicians and telemarketers are in last place. <laughs> so the politicians are just ahead of the last place telemarketers in terms of honesty and ethics. So why am I laughing? I should be crying. Here's another one. Sunday Morning Pulse. Americans' ratings of honesty and ethics of professionals, or rather professions. 42% think journalists have a very low or low ethical standard. 35% rate journalists as average. 23% rate them as having high standards. Well, all the journalists I know have high standards, but there are a heck of a lot of them out there that do not. Hey, good news for our colleague and friend, Mitch Album, who is having his big Say Detroit uh, Radiothon that we will make an appearance at, and David, you'll be working at uh, all day. That's this Thursday, right? That's correct. Out at uh, out at the Somerset Collection w- near where Santa is. But guess what? Mitch's uh, newest book, The Little Liar, that's on Harper, the actions of an 11-year-old boy who helped facilitate the delivery of Jewish residents, including his family, to Auschwitz because he was lied to. The, the book is The Little Liar. It's number five. On the New York Times bestseller list. That's its debut at number five. That's pretty good, Mitch. So congratulations to our friend and colleague, Mitch Album. Heck, there's so much more here i got to talk about. Uh, the cost of Christmas. Do you know that it's National Cookie Day? Here's what I don't believe. When you hear these kinds of statistics, on National Cookie Day, they say Americans consume over 2 billion cookies a year And they claim that's about 300 cookies per person. Can I ask you this? Have you ever come close to eating 300 cookies in a year, Rieger, Danielle, either one of you? No, I'm more of a chip guy, though, than cookies. So, I think I'm doing pretty good. I had seven cookies last night. Are you kidding me? I was on a cookie kick. Well, right in advance of National Cookie Day. But you, so that's, you make the average, you help make that average 300 per person because uh, I can't imagine that I've had 300 cookies in any, I don't know if I've had 300 cookies in my lifetime. They say every year. All right. All righty. We've got so much more to share with you. It is Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. You're raring to go, hitting the ground, running in the first full week of December here with Paul W. Smith in focus on WJR. Well, I just got a news flash from my wife. Kim says, <laughs> this is not true. She claims I've had 300 cookies since I met her. That's not possible. It's not possible. Although, if you were to ask me my favorites, I, a warm chocolate chip, an oatmeal raisin, and then my number one, Kim's Magic Cookie Bars, which I, I don't even think of as cookies, but that's what they're called. She makes this delicious Magic cookie bar. Sweet Marie used to make those, too, and they're really very, very good. Hey, have you started streaming us yet? Download the WJR app. 
Also stream us through WJR.com, Alexa, or Google Home. Go to thegreatvoice.com where you can you can uh, really, if you, if you can't be here from noon to 2, this is the next best thing. Uh, and you'll find individual interviews and the whole show at thegreatvoice.com. All right, uh, the world marches on, and uh, things are just as we were afraid they would be. Jonathan Savage, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor here. The IDF has expanded their ground offensive into southern Gaza to nobody's surprise. Jonathan, welcome back to the Paul W. Smith Show. Nice to have you here, sir. Great to talk to you again. The Israeli military announced it was expanding its ground assault against Hamas to all of the Gaza Strip following the collapse of the truce deal that saw actually more than 100 hostages and 240 Palestinian prisoners freed. But we knew that was going to come back to this. All of this has been announced. In fact, the latest thing they said is they will not stop until Hamas is off the face of the earth, not just out of Gaza. Yes, there's no doubt about that. That that is the goal here, you know, to make sure that Israel is safe and can't be attacked from Gaza by Hamas or or by anybody else. Now, how they're able to do that in the long run is something that is causing a lot of head scratching in places like the State Department and the Pentagon and other Israeli allies. But Israel is plowing on with this with this war, um, having um, operated mainly in the north of Gaza. It's very clear that um, they are prepared to hunt down Hamas no matter where they are. Um, it's important to remember that Hamas has built these tunnels underneath the ground right across um, parts of Gaza, you know, who knows exactly how many miles of tunnels. Uh, Israel says the only way that they can destroy them is with increasingly and extremely large bombs. Um, And it says that by digging these tunnels underneath civilian areas, it's Hamas who are putting the civilians at risk um, and that Hamas are responsible for the deaths of what the health ministry in Gaza says over 15,000 people. So it is um, continues to be a bloody and, and brutal war, and with the fighting heading south to areas where Israel said previously were safe, it doesn't appear that it is coming to a conclusion anytime soon. No, you know, these people, you have to feel sorry for the Palestinians. Um, they fled the bombardment and battles in northern Gaza at Israel's urging. They fled into the south, but now the south is being attacked. These are people who, unfortunately, have nowhere to go. Other Arab countries are not saying, here, come here. We're opening our borders to you. I don't know exactly why that's the case. But this is a problem that's going to get worse. And because of our sensibilities and our maybe inability to understand what it's like to have to live next door to somebody who claims their whole mission in life is to kill you and make sure that you are wiped off the face of the earth, we may not be able to handle and follow what is about to come, which is more mass carnage. Yeah. um, For starters, one of the reasons why other countries aren't opening their borders to the Palestinians is that they don't have borders with the Palestinians and Israel controls, um, you know, three sides of Gaza. Um, there's a small side, which is the, the Rafah crossing with Egypt, and that's been the only real way in and out for, for anything um, in recent times. Um, one thing I think is quite interesting that we heard yesterday from uh, Lloyd Austin, the Defence Secretary, he was talking about um, how Israel may win the tactical battle. They may have a tactical victory where they uh, defeat Hamas, but spiritually they could be driving the civilians into the arms 
of the enemy, and that means a strategic defeat. Um, the, the United States and, and its allies are trying to think about what will come after this, uh, about what will come after Hamas. And they are going on again about the, the two-state solution, which has long been um, the, the, the end goal for um, the United States and, and many in the United Nations who, who want to see peace in the Middle East. Iran, or Israel has always said that they need a partner in peace, and they simply don't have that in Hamas, and they're not sure they have that in the West Bank either. Now, Jonathan Savage, Fox News correspondent, WGR contributor, we go back to what I feared from the beginning, that you could kill everybody who today claims to be Hamas, but what they're creating is a whole new group of new recruits philosophically to Hamas, because to so many of the Palestinians, they were raised getting medical care, dental care, food, water, whatever they needed from this group known as Hamas. And it's so hard for them to see them as the terrorist organization that they are. And this is a problem. You, can't, you cannot kill a philosophy, and you certainly can't do it by killing a bunch of your friends, family, and neighbors and make these people then say, okay, we're with you. It's just not going to happen. It, it, this is a terrible, unwinnable circumstance and situation. Do you understand what I'm saying? I guess I'm trying to be as clear as I can be. When you've got um, Hamas in, in Gaza, um, you've got one side of, of the Palestinian coin. In the West Bank, you've got the other side, which is Fatah, uh, which is considered generally more moderate. Um, and the the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank is being seen as, as the only people who could possibly take over Gaza after Hamas. But one of the problems with them is that they are quite weak at the moment. They're, they're not necessarily seen um, as having the trust of the Palestinian people, partly because they sort of had an a, arrangement with, with Israel whereby Israel conducts raids into the West Bank and there's not much the Palestinian Authority can do uh, to stop them. So, yeah, this, this sort of spiritual movement of Hamas um, whereby uh, they get support from the likes of, of Iran, who support various other organizations, Hezbollah and, and, and the Houthis, for starters. Um, and then you get other countries like Turkey, which is almost offering moral support, um, saying things like Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be tried for war crimes, according to President Erdogan of Turkey. Um, so it, it is a complex situation. And like you're saying, it's very difficult to see what the pathway is going to be in 2024. Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, <laughs> four attacks yesterday on commercial vessels in the Red Sea that the U.S. believes were launched by Iran-backed rebels in Yemen. The, the people are getting away with murder, and they do not fear the United States or this administration uh, trying to retaliate and uh, and protect and do the right thing. That's a that is a very big issue right now. Jonathan, God bless you. Thank you for your reports as always. Take care, Paul. Jonathan Savage, Fox News correspondent and fine WJR contributor, as the IDF expands ground offensive into southern Gaza. Gaza, as the beat goes on, we continue on WJR. Daniel House had a very special opportunity as senior editor of business and also fabulous columnist for the Detroit News. I got to spend some time with Sean Fain, the head of the UAW, as I understand it. Daniel, good afternoon. 
Uh, good afternoon. Uh, correction, my friend. Uh, that was uh, Brianna Noble, our Ford beat writer, who uh, who actually spent the time with Sean doing the interview on Friday. Okay. I saw that she wrote the article, but I thought that when there's a meeting like that, that there are several of you from the editorial board and staff. No. I, I stand corrected. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of meeting. This was an interview, a one-on-one interview in his office. Okay. Uh, it wasn't an editorial. It wasn't an editorial board. All right, but, but anyway, yeah. You you learned a lot. You learned what from what Brianna Noble told you at Solidarity House for those forty minutes. You learned a lot, though. We did. I mean, you know, Sean is. Uh, you know, I, I give the guy credit. He stays on message, and you know, if you look at a labor leader that or a leader that, you know, does what he says he's going to do, um, I think you got to give the guy credit. Um, you know, he. They came. They said they were going to go after organizing the so-called foreign transplants, the Toyotas, Volkswagens, Nissans of the world, and uh, they're they're going to do it. I mean, they're they're after it, and they're going to use some of the same um, technologies that they use for the negotiations uh, uh, to uh, reach out to those uh, uh, those those workers. And apparently, they're already starting to respond. Well, and they're they're looking to double the UAW ranks, double the membership. And at this point, uh, I would guess that the American automakers are rooting the UAW on or the American auto workers will be left in the dust of these other foreign manufacturers that are going to be able to sell their cars for a lot less money than we are if they don't get unionized. Well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, the, the leading, the, the, the cheering section for this organizing drive clearly is, is GM, Ford, and, and Stellantis, um, because to the extent that anything can equalize or help better equalize the competitive balance in the industry, that, that would certainly be one, one way to do it. Uh, and, you know, they've come off of a con, they've, they've got a contract that they can marshal and say, look, this is what we can do for you. And I think they're betting that that, that the social conventions in the South, particularly, and in some of these plants, are different than they've been in the past. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there's some, some difficult sells, um, you know, uh, to, uh, to the folks, that's for sure. Well, if these companies, which apparently they already have, and as Sean has uh, pointed out, these companies have not raised the pay to these workers out of the, quote, kindness of their heart. They did it to try to stave off the idea of organizing. You know, the 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 thing I've pushed forever for the UAW is don't don't browbeat and force people into being being a union member and then therefore for us to buy union. Remember those big campaigns. What I've always suggested mm-hmm. is make the vehicles that are built by UAW workers the best in the world and then people will buy them. Well, that's right. Uh, I think that's that's true. And of course, their first rejoinder are going to be: "We're not the ones who design uh, and, and engineer uh, these vehicles." Then why market. should they get paid more money? Well, because they're not the ones that designed. You. They didn't even design the equipment they're working on every day. Don't get me started. Right. Oh. I understand, but I'm just, but I'm just, I'm just saying that, that, that that's, that's one of the, one of the arguments, you know, when, when they're in bad times, I mean, I remember writing about this in 2008 and 2009 and 2010, uh, you know, it wasn't the UAW's fault that, that, that they didn't take on all the debt. They didn't get themselves into the financial situations that these, these companies did. 
And, and I think that that's true. So how you engineer it and move forward, look, bottom line here is this is a different UAW in this auto industry than we've seen in, in, in many decades. Yeah. And where this ultimately leads, I think, remains to be seen. You know, Sean Fain believes, and he told Brianna that, that you know, if, these start, if they start to get some plants, they think that this will start to fall like dominoes. And frankly, uh, the losers will be people who want to buy cars who are going to have to pay uh, 900 bucks, 1000 bucks, whoever knows what it's ever going to really be, even though the car companies say they'll figure out a way to save other money. They've been running pretty. They've been they've been running pretty close to the bone. At least they've been telling us they've been running pretty close to the bone the last several years. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Yep, you bet. It's an it's we'll keep nas- an eye on it. It's National Cookie Day. I know you take very good care of yourself, Daniel. But when you do allow yourself to have a cookie, what's your favorite cookie? Oh, probably a chocolate chip. An old traditional chocolate chip. Maybe it is the most in in American households by far. More than half of the cookies baked in a household in America is a chocolate chip cookie. So you're not alone. You're right, but it's a. I it, couldn't tell you the last time I had a cookie, Dub. Yeah. See, they say they say with these statistics that we eat about 300 cookies per American a year. Which is ridiculous. What? I don't know how they come up with those figures. About 300? 300. I claimed I haven't had 300 cookies in my life, and Kim said to me, Paul, you've had 300 cookies since I've known you. I don't believe that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Daniel. We'll talk again soon. Love you too, brother. All right, Dan- Daniel House, senior editor and business uh, editor and columnist extraordinaire, just all-around bright guy. Uh, way brighter than the rest of us. That is the truth. And that's why I read him, and that's why we like having him on the show as we continue on WJR. You saw the headline in the uh, Detroit News Saturday. Regulators approve electric rate hike for DTE, increase needed to reduce unacceptable outages, according to the utility. Matt Paul is here. He's the president and COO of DTE Electric. Matt, welcome back to the uh, Paul W. Smith Focus Show. Nice to have you here. Uh, great to be here, Paul W. Thank you for having me this afternoon, and um, congrats to you on moving to afternoons. Yeah, it's nice to sleep in. Hey, listen, uh, we can we can make this a very short interview. If you can tell me that without question in your mind that, in fact, this rate hike is going to cut the number of outages and their duration I think most people would be all in on this. Yeah, well, I can tell you it, it, it will, Paul. It's, uh, it's a critical uh, you know, order, and we see it as a very constructive order because it will allow us to continue with our plans to invest in the grid of the future, a much more reliable grid, and then also to transition to cleaner generation. And yeah, as you said, both of those are, are critical for Southeast Michigan and for our customers, so absolutely. Well, the one you just said, cleaner generation, and and people are still um, on the fence. We want cleaner air, no question about it. But we watch China build coal-fired electric plants one a month now. Nobody else in the world is building them. I don't think they are. Uh, We certainly aren't. We're rushing to close them down. We worry that there's going to come a point in time when China's got a corner on the market on energy. 
Yeah, no, um, we are, we're certainly moving to get as clean as we can, as fast as we can, but we're also doing it in a very measured way that balances that with uh, reliability and affordability. So it's a, it's a multi-year plan, uh, Paul W., and, and one that will balance all of those initiatives and, and put us in a really good spot for years to come. And, and we should point out, uh, and I, I'm not a spokesperson for DTE or for Consumers Energy or for any of the power companies. I should be, but I'm not. But Matt Paul, president and COO, DTE Electric, you didn't get everything you asked for, did you? No, uh, we did not. And uh, frankly, that's uh, uh, the job of the regulators. But uh, we work, it's, it's a 10-month process. And we involved, uh, it, it actually involved over over 30 uh, what we call interveners. So it's a very detailed process, hundreds of pages of testimony, and then thousands of what we call audit and discovery questions. So it's a very thorough process. And again, I feel like we really landed uh, at, at a really uh, a balanced, constructive outcome and, and one that will uh, pave the way to for continued improvement in Michigan. Well, we know that we need to increase uh, grid reliability. We know that. We need to also cut down on the outages. We know we're going to have storms. We know we have trees uh, that are causing lines to go down. We know that uh, certain telephone poles aren't strong. we got to put new ones in. There's smart technology that needs to be used. There's all of that. And uh, you want to comply with your own carbon reduction plans. But there's also the state's clean energy goals that come uh, into play in something like this. And none of those things, all of those things come with costs attached to them. I, I guess I was going to say none of them come free, but that's the same thing. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, you have, we have to balance all the above. We have to obviously be safe, uh, clean, and we need to be reliable and affordable. And we, we're, we're, uh, I, I believe that this order really balances a lot of that. As you said, we have a, we have a detailed uh, four-point plan to trim the trees, upgrade existing infrastructure, rebuild a lot of our grid, and, and add smart technology to our grid. And, and um, our plan calls for about $9 billion of investment over the next several years in our grid. And, and our target is a 60% improvement in reliability within five years. So it is a critical initiative, but we do have to balance all the above, as you mentioned. Uh, the new rate's effective December 15th. Is that right? That's correct. They're, they're, yep, that is correct, Paul. Paul We're looking you. at an increased electric uh, electricity bills for the typical residential customer will increase 6.4%. That, according to the Michigan Public Service Commission, uh, that's the state panel that regulates the utility giants. So uh, uh, this isn't something that, uh, that people come upon easily. You guys don't just decide we need to raise our rates. You have to prove to these guys why it's in the best interests of uh, not only the health of your company, but for the success of your customers, us, the people that rely on you every day. So uh, you've made the promise this is going to help cut the number of outages and their duration, and that's uh, certainly better news than otherwise. Appreciate it. Anything else, Matt, we need to know? Yeah, yeah no, the only thing I would mention, Paul W., is, is you know, we also recently filed and are passing along pretty significant savings in um, the fuel and transportation and power that we purchase. It's about a $300 million savings uh, next year. And when you net 
that out against this other increase. It, it's more like a two dollar and fifty cent per month impact to our customers. So we rather try than, to really rather tie. than rather than the six dollars fifty one cents. Got to run. Appreciate that. That's, 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 Thank that's you, sir. you end on good news. Matt Paul, President and COO, DTE Electric, with Paul W. Smith. Love this time of year for a lot of reasons. One of which is that we get to play Linus and Lucy, the Peanuts theme from Vince Garaldi through December through Christmas time and all of the other holiday celebrations. It just it puts a smile on my face, a little extra bounce in the step to have that song. Don't you think? Crank that up, Daniel. Turn it up here. I just love that. Now, if you're if you're li- if you're listening. To the podcast, you have no idea what I'm talking about because for some reason or another, they're not allowed to play music on the podcast. I Go figure. I don't understand all the rules and regulations, but I'm with you there. Have you started streaming us yet? Download the WJR app. Also, you can stream us through WJR.com, Alexa, or Google Home, or you can go to thegreatvoice.com, which I've told you about a number of times. Uh, that's when you can't be here from noon to two or be anywhere to stream us from noon to two. You're going to find individual interviews, and the whole show at thegreatvoice.com. And we uh, appreciate that. The team is together, Dave Rieger, Danielle Mason, pulling all the switches, uh, and Rich Luzinski making sure we get our WJR traffic and weather first. We appreciate all of that. Uh, we talked about the football games, and now uh, our teams won. Michigan won. The Lions won. That's all good news. Uh, the Kansas City-Green Bay game was really bad uh, refereeing it just was some just some really bad calls it honestly could have made a difference a couple of pass interference forget the one in the end zone where everybody's although you see the guy you see uh, what's his name travis getting uh pushed with two hands out of the way so he can't possibly catch the ball that's pretty blatant uh but the other one before that where the guy was playing piggyback and and was all over this uh, player uh that should have been called and i do not understand why it was not that just that Somebody wrote an article recently, Rieger, maybe you know about this, said that they're not going to improve the refereeing because that would take money, investment, training, and since people keep coming back for the games, they don't care. Did you see that article? Yeah, I believe it. It's kind of bad. Yeah, it is very bad. That's bad. So meanwhile, we've got Michigan versus Alabama in the Rose Bowl. We love the old granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. That's uh, We have a special affinity for the Rose Bowl. And um, but man, oh man, Alabama—that's a tough one. They're they're going to be tough. We can beat them, but we have to bring our best game uh, to that game. And I feel sorry for Florida State being thirteen and zero, and just because they lost their star quarterback Jordan Travis, they're out of it. And that happened to Michigan several years ago when Dennis Franklin was injured. They 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 voted us not to go to whatever we were supposed to go to, whatever it was. Um, so anyway, we know that, uh, Nick Saban, hey. um, he, uh, he'll be ready. That's for sure. He would not, there's nothing he would like more than to beat Michigan. It, but that, and just like for coach Harbaugh, there's nothing that he'd like more than to beat Alabama. So, I mean, we're all in the same boat. Um, I, I gave this uh, statistic out here about cookies because it's national cookie. Day. I love a good cookie. Uh, my f- go-to cookies would be um, the, uh, I like chocolate chip. Is there anything better than a warm chocolate chip cookie and a glass of milk? Although I haven't been drinking milk for years as a beverage, but 
There's the oatmeal raisin. I love that. And then Kim's Magic Cookie Bars, just like Sweet Marie used to make. And they're, they're, I never think of them as cookies, but they look more like brownies, but they're good. They're like cookies. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Americans consume over 2 billion cookies a year, about 300 cookies for each person. And I said, that's not possible. I, I just don't believe that that's possible. And yet here I get a note from our fine Oakland County Sheriff and good friend Michael Bouchard. He says, that number of 300 cookies is probably right because I eat, <laughs> I eat way more than that <laughs> and make sure that I bring up the number for all of you lightweights. <laughs> Go, or- Sheriff. <laughs> Good old sheriff. He, he might be. He might be arresting you with a cookie in his mouth. I don't know, but he does a great job. That's for sure. He's done a great job serving uh, Michigan in a variety of positions for years. Just an all-round good guy. All right, Mike. So you eat more than three hundred cookies, trying to make up for we lightweights. But I still find it impossible that that the average is three hundred cookies for each person, and the average American eats thirty-five thousand cookies in a lifetime. And I, I just can't relate to that. Though Kim pointed out, you got to count uh, fortune cookies too. Oh, that's a now that adds a little bit of a different story. Do you do you guys eat your fortune cookie or just look at the fortune? I eat it. I eat mine. Yeah, I eat the. Yeah, I like yeah. It. okay. All right. I was afraid I was alone here. So uh, what else do we have on cookies? There's uh, check with wherever you're going today shopping because there are cookie deals. I have a list here, but there's so many places. Seven Eleven has a cookie deal. Uh, fat burger. Do we have a fat burger around here? I don't think so. Uh, Johnny Rockets, they've got some cookie deals. Potbelly has cookie deals. What about Subway? Subway has cookie deals. What about crumble cookie? What about crumble cookies? Do they have any cookie deals? They're, they're That's a place called crumble cookies? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, have I missed out? Have or I done in, it again? Yep. Or I can insomnia. tell I disappointed you so much. You did, and now I'm going to look it up. Did you say insomnia? Yeah, insomnia cookie. These are all cookie places where they only sell cookies and milk. Well, shame, insom- shame on me for not knowing. Not it's probably better that I didn't know about that. Yeah, four dollars. About four dollars a cookie for crumble cookie. Four dollars a cookie. Yeah, but they're like the size of your hand, and they're frosted. And every week they oh, I change. I love frosted cookies. Yes. I love frosted oh, cookies. All right. Well, we know what's coming for you. Oh, so boy. they're huge, and they switch up the menu every week. So every week they have different cookies, or like every month. Half the cookies baked in American homes are chocolate chip. I think I mentioned that earlier, but that's the truth. Uh, listen to this one for you bakers out there. Marie Osborne and all the rest of the great bakers. Mike Kimmy. Baking burns 168 to 348 calories an hour. That's according to the Livestrong Foundation and the My Fitness Pal. Hey, you're burning calories. So think about when you go make those cookies. You're burning calories, so it's a good thing. And who's the biggest cookie eater in the world? Anybody? Santa Claus. Yes. Good hmm. job. What a good job, Danielle. Because they claim <laughs> Santa Claus eats an estimated Three hundred thirty-six million one hundred fifty thousand three hundred eighty-six cookies on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I love that. Ah, the biggest cookie ever was uh, May seventeenth, two thousand three, Flat Rock, North Carolina. The company was Immaculate Baking Company. They clocked it in at one hundred two feet wide, weighing over forty thousand pounds. First cookie ever commercially made. Animal crackers 
introduced by Nabisco in 1902. The Oreo was the best-selling cookie of the 20th century. Americans spend $550 million on Oreos each year, and good old Girl Scouts sell 200 million boxes of cookies a year on this National Cookie Day. Uh, There's another note here. Uh, You know how they always talk about the uh, 12 Days of Christmas? You know the song, you guys, and and they, they always come up with a price now. And uh, apparently, not a surprise, the 12 days of Christmas now costs more than ever before. Purchasing a partridge in a pear tree, two turtle doves, and the other gifts mentioned in the classic song would run a gift giver $46,729 this year. That's according to PNC Financial Services with their 2023 Christmas price index. uh, 2.7% higher than it was last year, 13.2% costlier than it was in 2021. However... If you know the song, each day you give all those gifts again. So if you truly pay homage to the song, if one listens to the lyrics, it's clear that each gift is given every day. So in other words, there are a total of 12 partridges in pear trees, 22 turtle doves, and so on. So to purchase all those items, you would have to shell out $210,972, surpassing the $200,000 mark for the first time ever. This according to, again, PNC. So uh, don't try to live up to uh, to the song. Hey, does this sound odd to anybody else or just unusual? Alaska Airlines purchases Hawaiian Airlines. Is that like covering both ends of the weather spectrum in one fell swoop? Do you get that? Yeah, I kind of like Alaska it. I Airlines like it. and Hawaiian Airlines. They got you covered. Okay. All righty. Beyonce apparently doing very well with the Renaissance. Are you a Beyonce fam, Danielle? Yes, I am. Okay. Rieger, you probably are in the same boat as the Taylor Swift no, feeling. No, I think Beyonce is immensely talented. I'm going to take Dave to the Beyonce movie. There's a Beyonce movie as well as a Taylor Swift movie? I've yeah. missed them all. Oh, that's what the Renaissance is. It's her movie. It's her okay. concert movie. I didn't know that. Okay. And uh, did we ever follow up on the lawyer who lost his Go Blue plate? I see a judge uh, v- ruled against him. Yeah, I did see that. Did you ever talk to him? Did you ever talk to the the crazy lady? I did try to. Uh, the I, aggressive I, TikTok I, I tater tot tutorial. I did try to. I haven't got a response yet, but I'm right. not going to well, stop they, trying. Her her moment of fame is is I think running out. I don't know, but we'll see. Maybe watch, she'll be famous. I did, I did watch the video. It was I uh, did it too. Was, it was interesting. I did too. She's got it. She claims she's playing a role. That that's not really how she is. That she's playing a character. I, be, I, I believe I that. Yeah, that was interesting. Okay, we got to get back to work here on this uh, Monday afternoon, and we're going to do that with the Marie Osborne coming up next here on WJR. Well, you know, I, I, it just occurs to me it, with this uh, cookie, these cookie facts uh, that I mentioned, the fact that uh, this is National Cookie Day and Americans consume over 2 billion cookies a year, that, that's about 300 cookies for each person, which I found hard to believe. But then I realized uh, if you count Santa and Sheriff Michael Bouchard, they're the ones that are bringing up the average. There you are. And uh, nobody bakes cookies like Marie Osborne. She does such a great You have a favorite cookie, Marie, on National Cookie Day? It's like asking my favorite child. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said, I said 
uh, a chocolate chip cookie and then oatmeal yeah. raisin. But that's unusual given, and then Kim's uh, magic cookie bars. But that's unusual given, as I said uh, a moment ago to Danielle, and I, mi- I mean this, I love frosted cookies. And, and neither of the cookies I've picked as my favorite cookies are frosted cookies. But I will say this. If I get a Christmas cookie that isn't frosted, I, I feel cheated. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, to I, me, frosting is totally secondary. You have to have a good bake. Well, you have yeah. to have a good bake. And baking yeah. is good for you. They they say baking burns 168 to 348 uh, calories. I must have lost uh, or worn off 3,000 calories this I weekend. I better start baking cookies. That's Lots what I'm going to do. this weekend. <laughs> I'm going to start baking, too. All right. Mental health in the nation's schools continues to pose challenges. And most school districts say they don't have the resources to hire enough mental health professionals to help students. Our WJR senior news analyst, Marie Osborne, says technology may be offering the help that everyone is seeking at the right price. I'm all ears, Marie. Tell us. Well, at least 16 of the 20th largest U.S. public school districts, Paul, are offering online therapy sessions in an effort to reach millions of students. The Associated Press finds that those districts have signed contracts at uh, more than $70 million. That's the cost of just those contracts. Educators around the country continue to sound the alarm, though, that the nation's children are struggling with mental health issues and problems that started long before the pandemic made them worse. But there are also some concerns about this surging industry. Venture capitalists are funding a new group of teletherapy companies to focus on the needs of schools. And some experts are concerned about the quality of care offered by these companies. Right now, there is no oversight or little oversight. Some schools have reported that early evidence is showing teletherapy can work for some kids. For kids in rural districts or lower-income districts, therapy, teletherapy is easier to access. Schools let students connect with these online counselors during the school day or even after hours from home. And in November, New York City launched a free telehealth therapy service for their teenagers. New York is paying the startup Talkspace $26 million over three years for a service allowing teenage kids, 13 to 17, to download an app and then connect with licensed therapists by the phone, video, or text. And, Paul, unlike other cities, New York is offering the service to all teenagers, whether enrolled in private or public or even home schools. Interesting. Um, hmm. You know, all medicine seems to be moving to... Telemedicine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like I can even have a a physical yeah. via the computer, which I'm not a big fan of. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I think I, they need to, to touch you, listen to your heart, listen, you know, put the, the stethoscope to your back, tell you to breathe in, breathe out, all that stuff. I think I, I don't think they've just been doing that just for fun. I think it's it's important. Uh, You know, during the pandemic, of course, we could see that this was uh, viable, right? Because if you couldn't really get into the doctor's office physically, doing at least touching base online was a good thing. But I'm with you. I really worry about that because part of what doctors learn to do in medical school is to assess a patient just by looking at them. 
their body language, the you know words they may use, their posture, how they look, their color, all of that can be skewed on on a televis- teletherapy visit or televisit. And so I, I I'm with you. I think it's important to see somebody in person. Not not every time, but at least mo- most of the time, I think. Well, I a a doctor a psychologist who I have great respect for and have known for years, and, and I'd like to call her friend because we are friends, um, Dr. Marquita Bedway, who has an office right across the street from Gross Point South, has told me for years that the number of high school kids dealing with anxiety and a variety of issues uh, has really just risen slowly but surely. Um, and there aren't enough people to help those mm-hmm. kids, nor nor do they sometimes have the resources to go out and get the help. And the psychologists that that specialize in students and children are overwhelmed. Oh, they are. There there are not enough of them. In and in this case, you know, because this is a different. There is there's a big difference between therapeutic mental health therapeutic visit and a physical that we go to the doctor for. They are finding early results are that this has been beneficial for students. And in in New York, uh, where they can actually just download an app so they can access their therapist uh, or a therapist when they find themselves being uh, challenged by something. I, Uh, I don't mean to demean this by saying this, but truly something is better than nothing. Right. If right. it isn't something that's harmful, I right. mean, then now right. somebody's going to have to, they're going to have regulations or something yes. on these yes. kinds of apps and things that are available. It's just the yeah. sign of the times, I guess. Right, right. And but here's it is, a, it is a good thing coming. Here's a, here's a quick uh, note that you might look into for me because you do this so well. I kept both of these newspaper stories, one from the New York Times, one from USA Today. And this headline was, and I haven't gotten into it yet, it's okay to not feel okay. Anxiety isn't inherently bad. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. It's everywhere today, but experts warn just trying to get rid of it is a mistake. What do they mean? Maybe you'll help me understand. And then this other one that I kept from the New York Times, it's okay to get angry. It may even help you. A finding that the emotion can be useful if properly channeled. So, wow. I You know, these are just individual stories and maybe these people are completely wrong but i wouldn't mind if you'd look into that for us i will thank you riri always doing a great job marie osborne wjr senior news analyst as we continue on wjr wjr is proud to announce our annual christmas on us campaign we'll recognize and honor those who've served our country and worked on the front lines to keep us safe nominate michigan military first responders frontline workers families that you know who are deserving and we'll give them a gift of christmas this year for full details and to make your nomination visit wjr.com wjr.com wjr's christmas on us brought to you by a lot of very good people i hope you do business with them here's some of them shelving.com amnesty air duct cleaning and insulation window world cnc heating and air conditioning and ahe jewelers i hope you can uh, join us too in a couple of uh, fridays we'll be broadcasting from guernsey's and uh, it'll be a lot of fun We are blessed to have a fabulous police chief once again. James White is our police chief for Detroit. 
And he's here to talk about a story that's being talked about all around the country. Uh, And, uh, in fact, they came upon this before the Detroit Police Board of Commissioners voted to propose a city ordinance that would require police to release video footage of police shootings and other instances of deadly force. Now, Chief James White, you started doing that before they even asked you to do it, if I am not mistaken. Uh, Chief White, welcome back to the Paul W. Smith Show. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. And uh, that's correct. Uh, something that we looked at doing actually uh, early part of the year, we wanted to look at best practices around the country. And uh, we arrived at uh, a model that we thought worked for us. And yes, that's in fact the case that we wanted to release before whatever ordinance. What has happened in the past is when law enforcement agencies, not us, not ours, but across the country, when they would release video, there's several things that happened. One, people thought it was edited and only showed the police in a good light. Or two, it didn't really show everything because it didn't show what led up to the action by the police. How do we get around that, Chief? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's why we were looking at best practices. You know, we looked at Chicago's model, looked at a couple other agencies, we looked at L.A.'s model, and L.A.'s best fit uh, what you're talking about in terms of just being transparent, but giving some context to the information. Uh, you know, just video with no context really didn't make a lot of sense. So with ours uh, and L.A.'s, you see maps of the area, you see what brought the police to the location in the first place. Uh, we released the, the corresponding 911 call. Uh, what the officers knew when they arrived, what they were hearing when they arrived, uh, everything from gunshots in the background, which is the case in this last incident, uh, and everything that led to their arrival and what they did once, once they arrived. You know, I have the, uh, the, the pleasure and honor of sitting next to uh, the chief at the 100 Club Dinners. That's that wonderful organization uh, that takes care of first responders, police, firefighters, etc. If if God forbid they don't make it back home, we try to take care of the family right away. And the chief has expressed to me that he holds the department to the highest standards, standards of service, uh, the values of integrity, professionalism, uh, community. Uh, He has done that from the moment he has taken the job as police chief of Detroit. And what has happened in, in, first of all, it's been every year, it's been a tougher year to be a police officer, sadly. I'm not sure why. Uh, It just has. But you've added certain things like the body camera footage. There are plenty of cameras out there, so we get to see surveillance footage that helps us better understand what has taken place when the police have had a deadly encounter with someone. I'm going to ask you this. What is the rule for officers in terms of when they turn their body camera on? Uh, Another great question, Paul. And I didn't uh, thank you for that. I was going to mention that. Um, So whenever we're engaged in an investigation uh, with a citizen, we are required uh, to return or to turn the uh, body camera on. There are also a number of triggers that turn it on automatically. When a vehicle hits a certain speed, uh, the camera automatically uh, comes on in the vehicle as well as the audio because that we've determined that, you know, there are oftentimes an officer has to react immediately, like in a chase and things like that, that there may not be time for them to manually turn the body camera on. There's also a trigger uh, with uh, switching the lights on. Uh, There's a trigger when someone's in your back seat. Uh, There's an internal camera and an audio trigger when someone sits in the back seat of a scout car. Uh, 
uh, and then they're uh, they're required to turn it on, uh, as I indicated, when they're engaged in a citizen investigation. All right. Um, is there is there anything you need? Anything we can help you with? You know, in years gone by, and thank God we haven't had to do this in a while. But in years gone by, we we helped raise money for for bulletproof vests for our officers. We, God forbid we'd ever have to do something like that again. That should be just a normal part of the equipment that's provided to them. But is there anything that you need you can't get that we might help you get? No, I, I think you're, you're helping to get it. And that's the message out about why we're releasing body camera video. Uh, anytime officers use force, uh, it's ugly, right? I mean, it's, force is not something uh, that is, ever presents pretty. Uh, it's part of the unfortunate part of the work that we do. Uh, we evaluate the officer's uh, use of force, what they encountered, was it reasonable for them to use the level of force. Uh, there's a very transparent process involved in that, an independent uh, investigation generally led by the Michigan State Police under the Homicide Task Force, which is comprised of the Detroit Police Department, Michigan State Police, and the ATF. Those findings are turned over to the prosecutor's office for another independent review and assessment and determination. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we certainly want an environment where we don't have to use critical force or serious uses of force. Uh, but, it, you know, it's just not a reasonable, uh, uh, you know, idea that that's never going to happen. But when we do have to use it, we want to be transparent. And it's opportunities like this that I, I, I'm very grateful for that you give me the moment to, to explain to the community exactly what we're doing. Oh, Chief, you will always be welcome on this show whenever you need anything. Please uh, don't hesitate to ask our police chief for Detroit. Uh, thank you, uh, and thank you to all the men and women that you represent in the Detroit police, and for that matter, all law enforcement people within the sound of my voice, and for that matter, across the country. It doesn't get any better than James White, our police chief for the city of Detroit. Thank you, sir. If I don't talk to you, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and that goes uh, for a safe Christmas and New Year for everyone you represent. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for all you do for our community. Have a good one. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Chief, as uh, we continue. We close out with an opportunity for a gift that you might not have thought of, and I'm here to tell you, through experience, it is a spectacular gift and it couldn't get any easier than how we're going to tell you you can send that gift as we continue on WJR. You know, I I really have an affinity toward family businesses. I always have, I guess, because I'm the product of a family business that I didn't go into. Maybe it's guilt. I don't know. I didn't go into the family insurance and real estate business, as it turns out. But I still love family businesses. I understand how they work, how hard they are. And, uh, and this is a family business that's been around since uh, 1887. And if you still are racking your brain as to a very special gift to give to somebody, whether they're near or far, I've got a great gift. Whether they live in Michigan or visited Michigan or have never been to Michigan, I've got a great gift. The original fudge of Mackinac Island established in 1887. And I'm talking about original Murdoch's Fudge. I'm happy to have the owner from the Murdoch family, because the whole family's involved. Bob Benser Jr. is on the other hey. end of our line right now. Bobby, it's so nice to catch up with you, because I know it's Christmas time. Good afternoon. It doesn't feel like Christmas up here. It's uh, sunny sunny skies and um, 
pretty mild, so the Straits of Mackinac is really quiet right now. Really? You don't have any snow on the island? No, no, we did. It was colder for a while, but um, gosh, the last five days, you know, to a week, it's, it's been pretty mild. I'm going to tell you something. Um, I, I, I was talking about this. Whenever I'd hear your commercial, I'd say, you know, this is a this is a great, great uh, a present if you go to OriginalMurdochsFudge.com. I don't just say that. We've sent some of these to our friends, a few friends. Uh, now any friends that doesn't get one is going to be upset, but it's not to everybody, but we've sent it to a few people. Uh, and the reaction is so incredible. They're so happy. But now I know why. Because what do I get but this big box delivered to my door? It says, Merry Christmas from Bob Benzer and the crew at Murdoch's. I have my own box of Murdoch's fudge, and this is an incredible gift. It, it is a great gift, Paul, for sure. I actually personally saw your uh, gifts going out the other day. So um, we're a little, little bit ahead of it this year. Um, it's our 10th year doing it, so we're getting a, a bit more efficient. Uh, but people love it. You know, it's Mackinac Island. It's Murdoch's fudge. We're shipping it all over the country. We'll ship to all 50 states. Um, people just, you know, love fudge and love a little slice of Mackinac Island at uh, the holiday time. And and these gift boxes are filled with some of your all-time holiday favorite fudge flavors. This is the 10th year, so you figured out what people want the most. But walk them through the package and what when they when they do this, what exactly they'll be sending to people when they go to OriginalMurdochsFudge.com. Yeah, we have several uh, like preset gifts. Uh, Paul's. We we make it pretty easy that way, or they can, uh, you know, customize. But uh, it's all about the fudge. You know, we do peanut brittle, and we do a nice um, holiday brittle, only uh, available in December. It's pecans and peanuts and cashew Mm. and Traverse City cherry. So people really like the brittle. But, um, boy, the fudge, we do a maple bourbon pecan. We uh, partner with Iron Fish there in um, northwest Michigan. Oh, Iron Fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have some, you know, northern Michigan partnerships, and... um, but they all like it. People, you know, still chocolate is the number one flavor. And and what's our deadline for, for making our orders? Uh, December 20th is the last day to, to ship. And, I'm, hey, I might mention, too, I almost forgot, but today's the last day of um, of free shipping. So free ship 45 is the promo code. And, um, yeah, we ship whatever size box, you know, free all over the country. Oh, my gosh. That's a very big deal because this is a big box. It's a big box, yeah. It's a big, heavy box. So today's the last day to get free shipping, and you you add to your order free ship 45? Yeah, you'll be prompted for, you know, a promo code, free ship 45. It's uh, the last day for free shipping. We continue, you know, shipping here till December 20th, but uh, today's actually our biggest sales day of of the holiday season is is this uh this monday well that's a big savings that's a that's a very big savings and i've watched before when you're when you're artisans and it is the art of fudge making at murdoch's and these are skilled professionals and they're performing a very specific timely turn of the wrist paddling technique when shaping the delectable fudge into loaves i've watched them it starts with that copper kettle and then those marble countertops and all the temperatures have to be just right. It is, it's an art. There's no question about it. And, and I know that Murdoch's fudge is always made with only the freshest, all-natural ingredients. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Bobby, most of them from Michigan, the, the, the ingredients. Yeah, yeah really, Mark's, um, gosh, fresh cream and butter, all from Michigan, sugars from the thumb area. Um, chocolates from it's a Dutch chocolate that we use, but for the most part, even our packaging, Paul, is um, is from Michigan, sourced from Michigan. So we're like ninety two, ninety five percent 
our products are from right here in Michigan. Beautiful. And by the way, uh, the Murdoch's original uh, Mackinac Island fudge, originalmurdochsfudge.com. Murdoch is spelled M-U-R-D-I-C-K-S. Um, the Mackinac Island and Mackinac City and in St. Ignace. And now I see that you've got uh, three stores and a bakery in Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. How about that? That's great. Yeah, we've been we've been uh, we've had Murdoch's Fudge in Martha's Vineyard for gosh over over thirty years now. So. Oh my gosh! Um, you're kidding? Was, I yeah, guess I yeah, forgot. Yeah, so I get out there a couple times a summer. It's not you know it's not the phenomena that Fudge is on on Mackinac. Mackinac is definitely the uh, Fudge capital of the world. But people love Martha's Vineyard and they love to be able to stop in uh, and get you know Fudge or ice cream on Martha's Vineyard. They say uh, on the little card that came with my little gift, uh, Original Murdoch's Fudge, care instructions, Original Murdoch's Fudge is made fresh for you upon order. It will last for two to three weeks stored at room temperature. Do not refrigerate. To enjoy later, wrap your fudge airtight and keep it in the freezer for up to six months. Thaw by unwrapping the frozen fudge. It is a gift that I've never seen the reaction that we're seeing with people getting this beautiful Original Murdoch's Fudge. Bob Benzer, Bobby, uh, your dad, the entire Benzer family, uh, continue this tradition, and we thank you for that. And thanks for letting us know that today, using Free Ship 45 is the last day to get free shipping. Go to originalmurdicsfudge.com or call 906-298-0630, 906-298-0630 to place your order to be shipped anywhere in the United States. Free shipping ends today. I got to run. Thanks, Bobby. Stand by for Chris. Regards, Paul W. Smith.